0: Yes, thank you, Thelma and Jewel as well. Well, if you have your Bible, open it up to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Tempted to uh, title this sermon, The Lord's Prayer, because the entire chapter of John 17 is an account of Jesus in in prayer and what it is that he is praying but I don't want to mess with mess with tradition and the title of, uh, you know, uh, Matthew chapter six, where Jesus says, "When you pray, this is how you pray." And then he starts into what we know as the Lord's Prayer. So I don't want to confuse anybody. But uh, I do want to—I don't want to make the mistake of skipping over this uh, because you know there's nothing teachable here. That's totally off the rocker. Uh, this is so teachable and so applicable to our life, if nothing else. Uh, I want to give you five points this evening of how you can pray like Jesus prayed in his, what we call the High Priestly Prayer, here in John chapter 17. Now, most of our Bibles break this prayer into three sections. It'll say, section one, Jesus prays for himself. Uh, Section two is Jesus praying for his disciples. And section three, Jesus prays for all believers. And the idea is that it's those that will believe On account of the testimony of his disciples, those 11 disciples that would remain. Uh, Of course, uh, not including uh, that that 12th guy they would elect withdrawing straws in the book of Acts. But anyway, and that's certainly right. I'm not going to disagree with that at all. I'm not trying to take away from that, but I just want to break it down into some specific areas that Jesus is praying for. And you might read through this and say, oh no, there's more than five. Or no, there's only two. But uh, this is how I see it as I was reading through it and studying it, and for the sake of the time, I want to encourage you to write these down. Of course, I don't have a PowerPoint uh, for this sermon, but write these down and go back in your own time and make application of these five areas of prayer that Jesus emphasizes in the book of or in the chapter of uh, John chapter 17. Well, let's read through this starting in verse one, John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work Which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Verse 6 I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, That they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And I in them. Like I said, I want to give you five of Jesus' prayer requests that he prays in this prayer in John chapter 17. The first one is this. He is praying that the Father would be glorified. His prayer is that God would be glorified through him and through those and through others. uh, Those that he has uh, taken out of the world. Those that he has saved. Those that he is leading. and, And those future Uh, disciples that they would all bring uh, glory to God and really I find this to be an overarching theme throughout the prayer Jesus wants the Father to be glorified and wants to bring glory to the Father right off the bat verse 1 Jesus prays that God would glorify him that he might glorify God and in the last verse verse 26 I have declared to them your name and that's what glorifying and bring glory to God is all about declaring the name of the Lord. Uh, and, and, and in that prayer, you know, you might say, well he's Jesus is God. It's okay for him to ask God to glorify him. But understand what we're what we want to pray is is in similar ways like this, Lord, uh, use me in such a way that I would bring glory to you. You may not feel comfortable saying, God, I want you to glorify me so that I can glorify you. I can understand that. That's generally glorify as a term that we save for God. But understand the heart of this is really use me in such a way, Father, that I would bring glory to you, to you in, every, in every way. Now, I know it's a joke every time I say something like uh, this is my favorite verse or this is my favorite hymn, but I really think my favorite verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The Westminster Catechism states that the chief end of man is to glorify the Lord. Now, there isn't a scripture you will find that says the chief end of man is to glorify the Lord. But I feel like that's a very scriptural thing to say that we are to bring glory to the Lord. I believe there's a scriptural accuracy in that statement. Jesus said the most important commandment was to love the Lord with our whole self. Our mind, our body, our our spirit, our soul. I see these two ideas, loving God and glorifying God, correlating together. Because to glorify something means that we acknowledge His greatness, we acknowledge His splendor, we acknowledge His worth. We do this through our worship. We do this through our lives. We do this through everything that we do. We acknowledge His greatness. That is what it means to glorify God. And glorifying and loving God for these same reasons correlate. I believe that this major theme of glory uh, correlates with the idea of loving God with all of our lives. Verse 24, he says, uh, he prays this, that we behold that we, that is actually us, the future believers, that we behold his glory, which the Father gave to Jesus, because you, he's saying to the Father, because you loved me, he's talking about himself, because you loved me, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. So in other words, this prayer here is that we would understand, behold, we would grasp, the glory which is God's. And in that, we would be able to grasp the great love between God, the Father, and God, the Son. And then verse 26, he says, And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. You see, this chief end of glorifying God and bringing glory to God is necessary because in that, His love that is between the two of them will then be in us, and our love will then be for Him. Jesus wants the Father to be glorified in us, and through us, and in Him, and through Him, because in bringing glory to God, we are automatically put in contact with His great love. In fact, if there's anything we glorify the Lord that we make much of, it is his great and wonderful, steadfast, never-ending love. How great is the love of the Father? How great is it? It's incomprehensible, isn't it? It's in, it is inexpressible how great his love is. It is inexplicable. It is immeasurable. It is never-ending. And we We can taste the glory of God when we taste His love for us and for all of humanity. And yet we will never truly comprehend just how great the love of God is. The hymn writer says in one one of my favorite hymns, Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God is, it's, it's, it, you cannot express it you would fill up the entire sky and then some trying to explain how great the love of God is. And this is a direct correlation of what we give Him glory for. And so a major prayer request here is that we would glorify the Lord. And if there's anything you can glorify the Lord about, it is His great love here for, that He has for each and every one of you. If any of you doubt how much God loves you, We need to have a talk after this service, because no one should leave this place doubting the great love that God has for you, if nothing else it was seen on that cross, if nothing else it was seen in sending his son to this earth, if nothing else it was seen in the raising of his son to new life, so that we all could have that same life, the love of God. The second thing that Jesus prays is for unity within the body of Christ. Another major theme is oneness. And Jesus' prayer for their unity could also be linked to the prayer for God to be glorified because it is in our unity, believers' unity, that God is glorified. Because what generally draws the most attention to the church is what? When we have a fight. Right? I mean, nothing gets people interested in what's going on in the local church like a fight. Oh, they've been fighting over the carpet. They've been fighting over tinfoil. They've been fighting over the, wall, uh, the paint on the wall. They've been fighting about this and fighting about that. People like a good fight, and there's, there's nothing that draws the attention to the church like a good fight. In verse 20 through 23, you see the most pointed request for our unity. In verse 21, he says uh, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, implying one in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Our unity is not just a unity amongst us. You know that hey, I feel oneness with Travis, and that's, you know, we have warm fuzzies, but that our oneness is actually based in the Lord, that we would have that kind of unity. The unity of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is a major theme of the Bible, and that same unity is to be longed for by those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. We reflect the unity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in our unity within the body of Christ. You know when a family has a lot of t- inner turmoil it's often known by everyone outside of that family and it's because this turmoil bleeds out through a multitude multitude of sources primarily by the people of the family although every once in a while you'll see the turmoil in the family in the police report in the Tyler County booster right? <clears throat> but When a family is closely unified, it isn't so much talked about as it is displayed. It is displayed in the attitude and actions of the family with one another. It is displayed in the overall joy of the family. And we, standing on the outside, looking in on that family, will often talk about the love and unity of that family. Our unity is so important within the family of God that in regards to what is displayed to the world, who are on the outside looking in, not that they are peeking in through the windows to see what is going on, but they are looking in wondering what is going on with them. They have such a unity. They have such a oneness. They're, it's, it's, it's like they're finishing each other's Bible verses, right? The world is watching us. Those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, they are waiting to see us mess up. They are waiting to see us get into a fight. You know, connected to this morning's message, the world hates and despises the name of Jesus. The world hates and despises the true followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus even states that. We're going to get that into a second. But if there is oneness within his followers, according to verse 21, what does he say? The world will believe that God sent Jesus Christ. And, thank you son, and the Father loves us as he loves Jesus. Get that. If the world sees the oneness that we display within our community, within our relationship, they will believe, one, that Jesus was sent by God the Father, and two, that we are loved just as the Father loves Jesus. As much as I love the song, Jesus Loves Me, that does not communicate the love of God for His disciples like our unity does. Nothing displays the love of God for His people like our unity does. The best version of Jesus Loves Me is sung with our love for one another. It absolutely is. And so the next time you're tempted to say an ill word about one of your family members, and I'm talking about your family of God members, talk love. Because when you do that, you display not only the unity, but you display that Jesus was truly sent by the Father, and the same love the Father has for Jesus, He has for you and for all of His people. See you know what I mean? This, this really goes back to glorifying God. This is a major theme here. Number three, he prays, prays this that his followers will be sanctified. We've talked about that word quite a bit, sanctified. To be sanctified is to be set apart, to be different from everything else. In this case, the prayer is that we would be set apart from the world. In every way, we should be wholly different from those around us. Cheating on your homework may be acceptable to your friends, but it is a sin, therefore we are to be set apart. Cheating on your taxes may be acceptable to your friends, but if cheating is stealing, and it is, then we are to be set apart. Cheating on your spouse is acceptable in our day and time, but it is still a sin, and we are to be set apart. Now those seem obvious enough, and for the crowd here this evening, perhaps We need some other areas of application. I'll trust that you will raise your own thoughts about what it means to be set apart from the world in your own personal quiet time. Lord, what does it mean to be sanctified from the world and have Him direct you in that word? Because I want us to note the tool or equipment of sanctification. We don't just pray and say, okay, I'll be sanctified from now on. But Jesus proclaims this. Sanctify them, verse 17, by your truth. Your word is truth. And I really believe Jesus has a double meaning here on this thought. The first meaning is this, his written word. God's written word is the truth and the word of God. And it is able, when put to use, to cut and divide those areas of our lives where we need to be set apart from this world. But we must open it, we must read it, and we must apply it with the help and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to be set apart, and this Word, this Word right here has the power to do it. It has the power to show me where my life is not set apart from the world that God has put me in. But I believe there's a second meaning, and that second meaning is Christ Himself. He is the Word. He says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Your Word is truth. John 1.1, referring to Jesus, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. When applying Jesus to our hearts and becoming born again, blood-bought believers, we will see the need to separate our lives. Because when we become born again, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives within us and starts talking to us and starts telling us, you need to separate yourself from that. I don't know what you think you're doing, but you are a, an ambassador of Jesus Christ now, Brian. You need to step away from that. We will get this application through the example of his life, the constant reminder of who he was in his teachings, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and our need to constantly be separated from the world. He says, though he was in the world, he was not of the world. He was... Sanctified, and he is the example of our sanctification. He was sanctified in his obedience when he came to earth. He was sanctified in that he never sinned, though he faced every temptation. He was sanctified in that he did all that the Father gave him to do. No one has ever done all that the Father gave them to do. And he was sanctified in that he obeyed even unto death on the cross. And so, in submitting ourselves to his lordship, we have his sanctifying work of the cross applied to our lives. We cannot be sanctified apart from the work of the cross. This is why he says in verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself. You see, he knows what's coming up. That's why he starts this prayer off with, The hour has come. What's the hour that's coming? his arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, and then his resurrection. He knows what's coming. He knows what is coming, and he knows that setting himself to do that, setting himself to be obedient is in in fact sanctifying him from the world because the world would say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. That's too costly. But Jesus says, I will do the bidding of the Father, and that sanctifies him. And when we apply the, the, love, the blood of Jesus to our lives, when we apply His sanctifying work on the cross to our lives, then we indeed are sanctified like He is sanctified. And this is why He says that. It's for our sakes that He sanctifies Himself. Number five, finally, for perseverance in the faith. He prays for perseverance in the faith. Now, Jesus does not use these exact words. But he prays this in verse 11. Keep through your name those whom you have given me. Keep through your name those whom you have given me. And this is not the only example. Again, I want to encourage you to go back through this chapter, and and hopefully you'll write down these five. I'll give them to you again in just a second. But to to go back and see this this prayer request worked out in Jesus' prayer for perseverance in the faith. But why would Jesus pray this about a persevering faith? Well, number one, because He is leaving. The hour is coming. He knows that He's going to be leaving these 11 disciples and not be in their presence anymore. They do not know this, but Jesus does, and we do because we live on this side of the cross. But Jesus will not be with them to offer them teaching and protection any longer and in that same verse 11 Jesus begins he says I am no longer in the world but these he's talking about his disciples they are in the world and I come to you Holy Father keep them through your name those whom you've given me that they may be one as we are he is praying for their protection and their unity in light of the fact that he is about to leave them and no longer physically be in their presence does he send the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in them. But as you and I know, you know, a physical reminder of God in your life, whew, it's a way different. That's why he says, blessed are those who believe and never have seen Jesus Christ, right? Well, he knows they're going to be uh, dealing with his absence. There's another reason, though. And that other reason is he knows that persecution is coming. Why does he pray for their perseverance of faith? Because he knows that persecution is coming. Now, it doesn't say this necessarily, but the eluding there is there. And it's obvious when you read uh, verses like uh, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. And then also in verse 16, when he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Perhaps we'll remember some of the teachings of Jesus when he said, don't be surprised when they hate you because they hated me first. He knows that the persecution is coming. And this prayer for the perseverance of our faith is really a prayer of protection for ourselves and for our testimony and for us to not lose faith. Not that we would lose our salvation, that's not what this is, not that we would fall away from grace But it is a very real anticipation that we will face trials, that we will face tribulations, and they will threaten to steal our joy, steal our peace, and cause us to perhaps even doubt Jesus Christ and all that He taught. We perhaps would even doubt the confidence of our salvation. We had just read one chapter ago, the very last verse of chapter 16, he said this to them, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He was getting them ready in his teachings, and now he is praying for this same kind of uh, perseverance in the face of persecution. After all, according to Scripture, the greatest proof of our salvation is that our faith would persevere, that we would not lose that hope, and heart, and faith in the God of the universe. He wants them to persevere. Well, now what? What do we do with this? Well, again, my prayer is that you wrote these five prayer requests of Jesus down, that you will go home and that you will consider them and consider praying for these requests on a regular basis. Let me just give them to you one more time. Number one, that we would glorify the Lord, that the Lord would be glorified in us. Number two, for unity within the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ. Number three, that his followers will be sanctified. And number five, for perseverance in the faith. You may be saying, why are you making such a big deal out of this? I think these are some, huh? Did I miss number four? There's not a number four. There's only four. My thing misnumbered. I, I don't know why I was thinking that. There's only four. I, I apologize. Huh? Okay. Well, that's going to be embarrassing. If anybody gets online and listens to that, we'll edit that out, right, Johnny? No, I'm just kidding. Number one, for the Lord to be glorified. I see what happened here. Number two, for unity within the body of Christ. Number three, that his followers will be sanctified. And number four, <laughs> for perseverance in the faith. I kept thinking, that doesn't sound right. All right. And again, I just pray that you would, you would take those home and, and just integrate them into your prayer lives. Pray them for yourselves. But I also would encourage you to pray them for others. Not in a judgmental way. Lord, I pray that they would start glorifying you. But in an in a inspirational type way. Lord, I, I just want them to start living their lives for you. And think about your kids or your grandkids. You know, there's, there's four there. And uh, you could split those up through the, through the week. You know, one every other day of the week or something like that. Pray one of these four prayer requests. Um, you know, sometimes people are at a loss how to pray for their kids or their grandkids, or great-grandkids specifically, you know, uh, what a great way to pray for them, that they would glorify the Lord, that they would be sanctified by His truth, that they would experience uh, His love and unity. And uh, So just, that's, that's my hope and that's my prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this Word, we thank You uh, for the fact that we can approach You at any time and, uh, and go to You in prayer. Lord, this is not, uh, this is not a, a legalistic thing. We have to pray these things. Uh, but I just, boy, I really feel how important if you're praying for these four issues that we be praying for these four issues as well. Lord, I think uh, of, of all of them, I, I always want to go to the unity uh, because I know how greatly you are glorified body of Christ is unified. I just want to pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us um, understand and find uh, a oneness on our mutual bond of, 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 of uh, being given this great gift of mercy through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we've had your mercy obtain, uh, uh, applied to our lives. Lord, that we can then go out and share that, that good news. And remember that we have that common bond with one another. Give us safe travel as we go home this evening. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.